0: Great. Uh, My name is Mike Henry. I'm the Director of Student Ministries here at Redeemer, and thank you for joining us on this 4th of July weekend. Um, We are excited that you're here. Um, First off, I'm going to pray, and I do, I do want to pray for our country today. Today is the 4th of July. We celebrate our independence. I want to pray for us as a church and pray for our time together. So if you would join with me in that. Father, thank you for today. Um, Thank you for days like this where we do get to remember what a blessing it is to live in the United States, to live in the country we live in, that you have placed us in, Lord, for a purpose and a calling. God, I pray as both citizens of America and as citizens of your kingdom, um, Father, we would never forget that you have called us to reach our country for you. Um, Lord, I I just pray right now that you would um, give wisdom and discernment to all our leaders at all level of government, Lord. Um, They need you. They need your your wisdom and your understanding for these incredibly complex times we live in. Lord, we pray that they would learn to lean on you better and more. Um, We pray for those who protect us, that you would grant them protection, um, not just today, but all through their service to us, Um, God. And we are grateful for the work of others, for those who have come before, um, for those who are yet to come, um, for the blessing of this country, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so you can open up your Bible to Philippians chapter 2 or turn on your phone whatever you got to do but philippians chapter 2 is kind of where we are going to be camped out today last week we heard uh from dr sam and he shared just an incredible incredible sermon if you haven't heard it i encourage you to go check it out uh, on our facebook page but he shared an incredible sermon on kind of the beginning part of chapter 2 chapter 2 we've split it up into three parts So I get the middle section, and you're going to hear the last section next week. Um, But it was a beautiful, beautiful sermon about Philippians chapter 2, which is thought of as containing one of the greatest hymns ever written about Jesus. It's this passage that Paul writes, um, and it's this beautiful thing, and I want to read it to you. So in Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to start in verse 3. So we'll kind of talk a little bit about last week before we jump in to this week, and there's a reason we're going to do it, but it says, starting in verse three, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, and this is where Paul starts getting into it, who, uh, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, You know, he's starting out this chapter and he's saying, all right, Philippians, guys, I love you. You guys are doing an awesome job writing this to the church in Philippi. And he starts writing like, hey, this is what you need to do. But as he starts like talking about Jesus more, I get the impression that his pen was just going faster and faster. And like as this passion and this fire fills him up and he just goes on and on and on about Jesus. And this kind of turns into an incredible song or a prayer that he writes to Christ. And he's talking about this example that Jesus set for us specifically thinking about humility and service and dr sam said last week it was awesome i underlined it i highlighted it it's been bouncing around in my head all week but he said you know when we when we gather as followers of jesus when we act as followers of jesus is when our preference becomes deference to somebody else when we lower ourselves when we say you know what Whatever I can do to help you worship more fully, to help you understand God better, I'm going to take that step. I want to do whatever I can so that people can know God better. And man, that was a real challenge for me. Um, I hope it was a real challenge for you because I don't want to be alone in that. Um, I don't want to be the only one thinking that. So Paul writes the book of Philippians to encourage the Philippians. And he has this this incredible passage at the beginning of chapter 2 to encourage them with his example of Jesus. But that's not where it stops. Because now we're going to jump in with verse 12, and this is kind of where we're going to be today, Uh, 12 through 18. So I'm going to read it, and then we'll break it down, and I think it kind of breaks down pretty well into three parts. So we're going to start off verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So this first section, I want to talk about this first couple verses. Paul starts it off at the beginning of verse 12 with a therefore. And therefore is just one of the most marvelously, wonderfully helpful things in the Bible where it says, okay, everything you just read, now we're going to talk about what that means. All right, don't forget what we just read. Don't just pass over it. Don't just gloss over it because now we're going to get into it. We're going to dig into it. All right. So Paul starts us off with a therefore and in this section I believe Paul is telling us one big thing. He's telling us get to work. Get to work. He gives us this understanding of who Christ is and what Christ is about and Paul calls us to get the work because Paul knows as every educator and every parent in here knows that the best way to teach a child is to help a child do something. We can talk all day long about theories and concepts and ideas, but it's when we sit down and do it, when we do the work. That's when the information becomes ingrained in our mind and we see that connection between thought and action. So Paul is calling us to get to work. He gives us the therefore, all right? We need to sit down and do some work. He says, therefore, my beloved, As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. So Paul uses this term of endearment. He says, therefore, and he says, my beloved. And he says that in a way like he wants the Philippians to know he cares about them. He cares about them as brothers and sisters. He kind of cares about them as children because he was the one who brought the gospel to them. He was the one who kind of helped instruct them and inform them. He sees them as children that he's been giving instruction to. And he's trying to communicate this idea that uh, with their obedience, uh, this desire for them to obey, you know, my beloved, obey now, and it's two things, that they would hear what he has to say, okay, I want you to obey, but then that they would obey what he has to say, okay, so it's not just the hearing, but it's the doing, all right? I always like, you know, this analogy somebody else once told me, and it was like this idea, you know, in church, we talk a lot about Jesus and God and all these big ideas, But then when it comes to doing it, it's a little bit harder in our lives because that's like, oh man, now this is getting real. And they said, you know, it's kind of like a parent telling their kid, hey, I want you to clean your room, you know, and I'm going to go away this afternoon and I'll be back. When I get back, I want your room to be clean. All right. And so mom and dad go away mom and dad come back and the room's still a mess. And mom and dad say, hey, what's up? I asked you to clean your room. Why don't you clean your room? Say, you know, I thought your kid looks to you and says, I thought a lot about what you said. And I wrote it down. I committed it to memory. I memorized it. Uh, and then I had some friends over and we talked about what this could mean. And I really feel like there are three solid points that could g- come out of what it means to clean my room. Um, and so I'd like to explain those to you. I like, that's not what I asked you to do. I told you to clean your room. And so Paul's saying, I need you guys to obey. Like you've heard this beautiful picture of who Jesus is and the example he sets. And now we have to act. Now we have to obey. Now you have to get to work. He goes on to say, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And this verse, this verse is really interesting. I want you to look at that, what he says at the end of verse 12. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, which is kind of an interesting thing for Paul to say, because Paul's like the king of like, God does all the saving and all the work, all right? We bring nothing to the table. All right, God does all the saving. So for him to say, work out your own salvation, like that's a big thing for Paul to say. That must mean something important. And a lot of the commentaries that I read as I was kind of preparing for this said a lot of people tend to like zero in on this passage. Like, man, this is where all the study is. This is where all the research is. What did Paul mean? And a lot of the commentaries I read said, it's the same thing. It's like, That's not the point of this passage. The point is bigger. The point is about getting to work, but we're going to talk about it because I I think it means something and it is important. But he says, you need to work out your own salvation. Now, salvation is a funny thing because it's something that happened. Salvation is something that is happening and salvation is something that's going to happen. And that makes complete sense to everybody in the room, right? Nope, doesn't make any sense to me. So digging in a little more. Okay, salvation, real quick. Three things Paul's talking about. You need to work out your own salvation. But Paul, we know that we can't do anything to save ourselves. So what work are we talking about? So there's that moment where we are saved and we are justified before God through faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. So in that moment, we are saved. We have experienced salvation. And in a future moment, we will be glorified when we stand before God. And all the sin in our life is stripped away. And for the first time ever, we are fully and completely who God created us to be. So in a future time, we will all stand before God and experience the fullness of our salvation so salvation is something that has happened and something that's gonna happen but here in this moment where paul says work out your salvation he's talking about in between then and that which is to come in this space you are being saved and we call that space sanctification all right it's a big word sanctification So in that moment, we have been saved and justified before God. And in the future, we look forward to being glorified as we stand in front of God's presence, sin removed fully from our lives. And in between those, we are being sanctified. We are are conforming ourselves to the mind of God, to the mind of Christ. As we say in our mission statement here at Redeemer, we want to joyfully follow Jesus. That is the process of sanctification. We are joyfully following Jesus. Jesus. And that's what Paul's talking about right here. He says, you guys need to work out your own salvation. It's, it's not enough that you were just like, well, I'm saved. And, uh, just kind of going to wait until I stand before the presence of God. And we'll see what happens in between now and then. Hopefully it's sooner rather than later. Paul said, no, you got work to do. You got stuff to do. All right. You need to work out that own self, your own salvation. You need to work it out. You need to be sanctified, be more like Jesus. Because remember, he just gave us this beautiful example of who Jesus is at the beginning of Philippians chapter 2. Talked about that humility and that excellence. He says, okay, this is what we got to do. We got to work this out. And then he says, with fear and trembling. And I like that uh, one guy said, this is the, the feeling you get when you stand exposed on a high mountain peak. All right. So fourth and fifth graders over here. It's super convenient you're all sitting together today. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. What is? Can somebody tell me the tallest thing you've ever stood on? Yes. Uh, Probably my balcony in Sydney. Your balcony in Sydney is very tall. Yeah. The The Empire State Building. Standing on top of the Empire State Building. Anyone else? No, you already answered. Put your hand down. Unless you thought of something taller. Did you think of something taller? Okay, go ahead. It was a, it's like a big water tower, it's like, not called, but it's like the tallest peak there. A super tall water tower. You could see everything. A water tower, like, um, that's like a landmark tower. Oh, like a landmark tower. All right. We can explain it. We've got all the time in the world. It's okay. Anyone else? Anyone else got something super tall? Yeah. A mountain? Do you remember what mountain it was? Was it really tall? Yeah? You went up to the top? Yeah, so anything like that. It's that feeling of standing on top of a tall mountain, standing on top of the Empire State Building, and you're looking out, and you get a sense of the scope of the world, the size of what you've done. Now, I'll bet when you guys stand on top of something tall, unless you're one of those people where there's probably something wrong in your brain, we're not running up to the edge of seeing, how close can I get to the edge before I fall off? Let's see what happens. No, none of us do that. Our instinct is to get down, and like get low. So uh, in Colorado, you can hike up to the top of Longs Peak. It's in Rocky Mountain National Park. It's the tallest point in the park, and I've taken kids up there before. It's fourteen thousand two hundred feet, and it's it's not very impressive when you get on top. It's like the peak is like the size of like three football fields. It's very flat on top, but there's a part of it that's that's a sheer drop. And you can go as close to the edge as your heart or stomach will let you to go. Um, and there's a sense, you get up there, that is a sense of fear and trembling that overcomes you. Not because you're going to be hurt, because you're going to be harmed, but you all of a sudden see the size and scope of all of this. And it's big. And it's, it's a little scary, but it's not scary like I'm afraid I'm not afraid of what's going to happen to me on top of a mountain. It's like, I'm, in, I'm impressed, and I'm a little in awe. And Paul says, man, the better view you guys get of following Jesus, it's going to be like that feeling you get when you stand on top of a mountain, and you see what's before you and how far you've come, how far you've got to go, but all the things laid out there that God has for you to do. It's, it's like that nervous energy, that nervous excitement. Paul says, guys, we got to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, this nervous excitement. He goes on to say, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Which is kind of tricky, because Paul just said, you need to work out your own salvation. And now he says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Like, all right, Paul, all right. You just told me i got to do this. But now you're telling me God's going to do this all right, Paul, what on earth do you want me to do? And I love what one guy said. He said this, this word for God working in you, for his God who works in you, it's the same word we get the word energy from. All right, it's the same word we get the word energy from. When it says God works, God gives us the energy. God is the supercharged battery. God is the fuel on the fire. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God has things for us to do. And as we stand on top of that mountain of our salvation and get a better understanding of what that is, it is fear and trembling as we see as a lot to do. That's some pretty dangerous things out there, God, that you're calling me to do. And I'm a little scared to do it. And God says, I'm the energy. I'm the fuel. I'm right there. We're going to do this together. You don't go and do this alone. We're going to do this work. If, if I need to pull you, I'm going to pull you. If I need to push you, I'm going to push you. If you need that boost of energy, I'm going to give you that boost of energy. But we're going to go together. We're going to work out this example you had in Christ in Philippians 2. It is daunting, and it is intimidating, and it feels kind of impossible. But you know what? You're not going to do this alone. You can do this. God's saying, I'm going to be with you. We're going to work this out together. We're gonna move forward together and I'm gonna give you the energy to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. You do not do this alone. I am the fuel for your fire. And so it's this this end note of encouragement. Go and do, go and get to work. In the light of the incredible example of Jesus, we need to get to work being more like him. In the way we treat other people, the way um, we treat other people at church and the world, Here's this example of Jesus who died on the cross for a world who rejected him. And you're saying, we gotta be more like that. Well, I'm a little intimidated. I don't think I can do that. Well, don't worry. God's gonna be right there. I'm going with you. I'm pushing you along if I have to. I'm pulling you if I have to. Giving you that encouragement. Giving you that speed to move forward and keep going one foot in front of the other. Let's go, all right? So Paul's giving us this therefore. It's, it's time to get to work. The kick in the pants, if you will. So what is it now? So Paul, the first thing Paul calls us to is to get to work. You need to get to work. Therefore, it's time to go. All right. But again, we're like, well, what do you want me to do, Paul? Like, I'm not a bright guy. What do you want me to do? So he starts out the very next verse. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. It's like Paul saying, for those of you who are a little slower on the uptake, let me break it in. If you're not getting the analogy, I just gave you the picture of Jesus. I want you to be like that. And you're like, Paul, I don't know what you want me to do. Paul just says, all right, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Get to work and do all things without grumbling or disputing. And I think there's two reasons That Paul wants us to act without grumbling or disputing that he lays out here. I think they're important for us. Not just for the church in Philippi that he's writing to, but for us today. So he says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Which if you spend any time with another human being, you know that's not super easy to do. Yesterday I was flying back from California. And on an airplane, in an airport, you are with a group of complete strangers whom none of you have ever met before. Um, Probably never going to meet any of these people again. And you would think in that environment, it would be like, oh, well, yeah, no, go in front of me, please. Can I help you with that? That's okay, I don't know who you are, but you look like you could use a hand. Okay. You want to see grumbling and complaining, just go spend some time at the airport. It's a wonderful example of a tube full of people who get to grumble and complain together. Our plane last night landed early which everyone was excited about until they all realized the gate wasn't available for our plane. So you do that thing where you sit, you know, and the pilot's like, oh, it's going to be about 10 more minutes before we get to an available gate. So keep those seatbelts buckled and be seated. Which all of a sudden, all these people who were so excited to be there early have like turned on him. Like they're ready to pull that captain out of that room. They're going to drive that plane to the gate and get off themselves. Right? Grumbling and complaining is something that comes so naturally to us. And here Paul says, knock it off. You want to do this? You want to be more like Jesus? You want to grow? You want to get on that mountaintop and see what God has for you? You got to start off by stop grumbling and complaining. All right, so the first reason we should avoid grumbling and disputing. So our commitment to humility and unity, through that, we will shine so bright that the world can't deny what God is doing. He says we need to be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. And if we succeed at this, if we as a church can act without grumbling or disputing, if we can show humility and unity, the world can't deny what God is doing. Because I lo- my one of my favorite things about church. I love church, but one of my all-time favorite things about it is Where else in life is a room of people this diverse going to gather together? We come from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different interests, hobbies, different jobs, and yet we're all here in this room. That right there should be a testament to the world, that God is at work among people who are saying, we want to gather together where everybody else outside these walls would be like, but why? And it's only occasionally where inside the walls we're like, but really, but why? You know, it was like, no, we need to do this. And he's using this quote. He's kind of linking this to the people of Israel. All right, he's using some quotes. He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses four and five. You can stay in, in Philippians two. I'll just read this for you. Uh, this is Moses. This is kind of Moses's final charge to the people of Israel before they enter the promise. And he says, the rock, his work is perfect. He is not talking about Dwayne Johnson, although some of us might think his work is perfect, but not talking about that, talking about God. The rock, really, the rock joke didn't land? Well a little surprised. I thought a little more, thank you for the chuckle, Tara, it's appreciated. Nothing, all right, rough crowd. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. But now talking about the people of Israel. They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. Paul's bringing this language to the Philippians and saying, there's an example, there is precedent here for what happens when a group of people who are called by God to avoid grumbling and disputing, to act in humility, when that fails... We have a case study and he's using the nation of Israel as the crooked and twisted generation. They lost sight, those years in the desert, they lost sight of what God was calling them to. Paul's saying, don't be like that. Don't lose sight of what God is calling us to. Because in, in Isaiah, I love these pictures. Paul's quoting from there too. Um, in Isaiah 42, he says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness and I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant For the people, a light for the nations. To open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison of those who sit in darkness. Isaiah 49, he says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the persevered of Israel. And he says, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And this is what Paul is calling the church in Philippi to. I don't think that's what Paul's calling us to. That is that example of humility and unity. And we don't grumble. We don't complain. But by working together as the people of God, we are a light to the world of God's salvation just in the ways we treat each other. And this isn't easy work. It's not simple work by any means. It is hard and it pushes directly against who we are. Paul says, you got to lay that stuff down, man. If you want to work together, you got to start lifting other people up, pushing other people towards God. You do that together as a group, as a church, as a a family in Christ. No one can deny what God's doing. No one can deny that. That's the power of our witness. I think that old saying is true that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. This should be a place where people feel cared for. And just by that care, they want to sit and hear more. If somebody is here, they are known and cared for. And that's an incredible thing. And that's where the Israelites, they lost the plot out in the desert. It became about them and what they wanted. And they lost sight of this promised land that God is calling them to. And in fact, Paul's worried about that same thing for the, the Philippians. He's like, don't, I don't want you guys to forget why we're doing this. And that's the second reason the Philippians need to act without grumbling or complaining. The first is so that by our example, the world can come to salvation. But the second reason, and this is kind of Paul's personal appeal, was that they become a people that he can brag about to Jesus when he sees him face to face. Uh, he says, he goes on to say, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. He's kind of he's turning, he's making it more personal now. You know, him and the Philippians, they were very close. This letter is about encouraging them and building them up. And he's like, all right, guys, you know you have like that head knowledge of what we need to do and why we need to do it. But now I want to make it personal. I want to make it personal to you. He describes his life's work and ambition as leading up to the day of Christ. He goes on to say, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the ultimate reality for all of us and all the work we're doing, all the time we spend together as believers and the times we commit ourselves to God is that work is that someday... We can stand before Jesus and be like, Jesus, have I got a story for you. You're going to love this one. You might remember when this happened. And you go on and you tell Jesus the story of something you're so incredibly proud of. And for Jesus to say, man, I am proud of you too. That was an awesome day. That was an awesome time. I'm so, so glad that's a part of your story. Paul knows this work isn't easy and it's not without sacrifice. But it's worth doing for that day we stand in front of Christ. That moment when we are glorified and sin is stripped away. And we we can brag to Jesus all day long about the great things he's done. The great things we've been able to do with him. All right. Uh, On Friday, the reason I was flying yesterday. On Friday, I was part of the memorial service for my youth pastor. Um, was invited by his sons to come and speak and share some stuff. And it was an incredible service, it was an incredible time. It was in my home church where uh Brian, his name was Brian Siken, Brian had served for more than 20 years. Uh he was the youth pastor, he did missions and discipleship, he did a lot of different things in this church. And so they uh he passed away early December uh in Arizona, and so they wanted to do this memorial service for him, a time for all these people to gather together, and it was so cool to see a room full of people whose lives had been touched by this man. And of course, I was thinking about this sermon as I was talking and getting ready and meeting people, Um, not just because I still had some of it to write at that point. No, 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 that wasn't the reason. Um, But it was just on my mind, it was on my heart, and I was thinking about, man, that uh, that example that Paul sets at the end, he says, even if I'm going to be poured out as a drink offering, even if I am to be sacrificed for your faith, ah, what a joy that would be And it was so cool, Um, Brian's two sons got up to share, uh, which was super eerie, because his youngest son, Joel, is, like, just like him. And so Joel gets up there and starts talking, and everyone in the room is like, whoa, this is weird all of a sudden. And, uh, but they get up and they talk, and they they both kind of share these stories about, like, having a dad with a weird job. Like, none of their friends had dads who would come home covered in mud from playing mud football. Or dad would be like, hey, before I drop you off at church, we've got to go to the grocery store, and i got to buy 100 goldfish, live goldfish, um, to dump in my parents' pool. That was a fun night. That was a fun game we played. Um, and they were like, what a weird job for our dad to have. And it was strange. But then they went on to talk about how they got older, you know, how, how they themselves became adults. And as they worked to follow Jesus, this, like they got this understanding, all of a sudden this new perspective all that time their dad spent taking kids on trips and playing games and writing bible studies that were fun and exciting all this stuff the reason he did it all was to point kids to Jesus and it was so cool afterwards to to be in this room of like 4 or 500 people who said man Brian pointed me to Jesus you know he gave up on some time to point me to Jesus and you think, you know, this life of a guy with a goofy job. And I mean, the reason I am a, a student ministry director, the, way I'm, the reason I'm a youth pastor is because of Brian's example in my life, that one day when I was a junior, Brian said, have you ever thought about going into youth ministry? To which I could quickly think back to all the times I'd spent with Brian. And I was like, no, of course not. Your job's terrible. But then, yeah. This is the calling. And so to be with those people, to be with Brian's family and just hear about like that sacrifice you lay at the offering of faith, thats worth it. To make ourselves less so that others can experience God more, so the world can see us as a family of believers, a true family that will do anything for each other, that becomes undeniable. Our big so what's, what do we do with this? I think Paul kind of gives us those three ideas. One, we have to get to work in the power of the Holy Spirit. It is not sufficient to study and learn all day if you put none of it into action. You have to get to work. And this is not limited to kids, teenagers, adults. This is all of us. We have work to do today. It demands a response. That we need to serve each other without grumbling or disputing. Um, it's an easy thing for us to do. It's an easy reaction for us to have. Even, like, little Joanna, 19 months old now. She did just spit up on my leg this morning before I got up here. That was fun. Um, Even little Joanna, you know, it's such a joy to spend time with her. But, boy, there are times where I'm like, you want me to, like, throw you up into the air again? Golly. Well, of course I do it because I'm a sucker. Um, But I don't always enjoy it. And sometimes in my heart, I want to grumble or dispute. And be like, well, we got to go do this now. We're going to go do this. But by spending that time with her, you know, what, what am I teaching her? How am I loving her? Those sorts of things. When we get into this place together, when we gather together as believers, to think, man, how am I going to serve somebody else today? What am I going to do for somebody else? Am I going to encourage somebody? Am I going to spend time listening to somebody? Tell them about their week just so I can encourage them. To serve each other without grumbling or disputing. If that became the defining aspect of Christians in this country, I have no doubt revival would follow. If we became people who were all about that humility and seeking that unity with one another, the world couldn't deny what God is doing in a day and age where everything is divisive. This is the place where we gather and we put all those things to the side. And we say, I'm here to be together with my brothers and sisters in Christ and I'll do whatever it takes to serve them. That is undeniable and so contrary to the world we live in. And finally, I just love this question. This this one's got me. What are you excited to brag to Jesus about? What are you excited to brag to Jesus about? Because someday you're gonna stand physically in his presence. What are you excited to brag to him about? You know, I know there's things in my life where I'm like, I got my list. I'm putting my list together. And I want to add more things to that list. And when I work, when I serve others with that mentality, you know, you think about the little kid who gets home from a trip. They could talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and all day long about that trip. They couldn't be more excited to tell mom and dad about that trip. Is that what it's going to be like when I get to stand in front of Jesus and tell him about the life lived on earth serving other people, I'm excited to do that. I hope you find something in your life that you are excited to brag to Jesus about. Because Paul says at the end here, man, even if I'm gonna die for this, and at this point, I think he's pretty sure he was gonna die for this. He said, guys, I'm rejoicing. And I want you to rejoice with me. I am excited for all that I get to go tell Jesus about. What are you excited to tell Jesus about? If you need a place to serve and get started, hit me up after the service. We'd love to get you plugged in. Tons of volunteer opportunities to serve here at Redeemer, and find kind of participate with other people, being something, something to brag to Jesus about. I'm going to pray as I close, and then Craig is going to come up with a few announcements for us. Father God, thank you for this time when we gather together as a weird and strange and beautiful group of diverse people who gather together to worship and honor you. God, I pray that you would impress upon our hearts the need to get to work in humility and unity to serve one another. Thank you, God, for the example of your son, Jesus Christ, going to the cross and dying a criminal death for a world that rejected him and despised him, yet he still did it. God, I pray that we can, in some small way, in a unique way for all of us, live up to that example in our own lives. And that there would be a day when we can brag to you about the wonderful things we got to experience. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.